Welcome to the People Analytics and Future of Work podcast with Al Adamson. Hi, welcome back. I'm here with Vic Acosale, uh, Senior HR Business Partner at Noveta. Vic, how you doing? Doing well, Al, doing well. How are you, good sir? I'm doing you know, under the circumstances, you know, hanging in there. Got my kids in the next room, um, making sure that there's no leaf blowers that go off, uh, you know, <laughs> out in the neighborhood. Uh, but definitely first world problems. How are you holding up there in D.C.? Good, good, good. You know, we're we're right in the center of crazy town, you know, so, um, you know, everything tends to, to happen. And I revolve around here, but, uh, you know, we're we're taking it one day at a time, right, with everything like that's going on. That's all I can do, right? Yeah. I mean, let's just jump right into it. I mean, the Black Lives Matter protests there in D.C., there's a pandemic going on. Uh, you know, the world is shifting. And so what's happening for you and your organization and what do you see there specifically in D.C.? Yeah. So I think, you know, like you have to look at this um, with a bit of context and with a bit of longevity as well, that, you know, kind of what's happening now with Black Lives Matter is um, it's, it's one occurrence in a long war, you know, like that we've uh, like been having around, you know, equality, human rights, you know, um, civil rights, you know, um, and in any war, there are turning points in the, the, the battle, right? You know, in any war, you know, like there's like the battle of this, there's the battle of this, there's the battle of that. But there comes a time when there's the battle that swings the momentum mm -hmm. <laughs> in one yeah. way or another. The landmark. <laughs> yes, exactly, right? Yeah. The battle of Gettysburg or, you, yeah. know, the, you know, this revolution or some sort, right? Where there is so much momentum in one way or another that that momentum, it doesn't swing back like the other way, but it carries it over. Yeah. Right? Um, I believe that what we're experiencing now is that momentum swinging in one direction to really start to make that change, right? And yeah. uh, it's, you know, it's how I know or why I like believe this is so is because businesses can no longer stay on the sideline, right? Yeah. And, <laughs> and, you know, you're talking about, you know, like America, we're very obviously capitalist society where business drives a lot of the decisions that happen in our society. Correct. So, and with our, again, that's why I said, let's not discount social media, but with the advent of social media and people um, being able to kind of be like the free press in our like society, all right? Um, now that businesses have to kind of answer and be accountable to the things that happen in like the world, they can no longer stay silent. Um, to me, that is where I see the fact that now businesses have to either choose to stay silent or choose to speak up and choosing to stay silent is a choice as well. That's where I think the paradigm shift has occurred where prior to, it was all about the people against like the government, against society, businesses kind of just stayed out of it because they're like, right. this is happening, but I still need like to do my thing. Now, businesses are coming out to say, oh, we like stand with this. We believe this is wrong. This is what we believe in, right? You can no longer stay silent. And I think that will be the key, the differentiator this time around 
Um, call me a hopeful optimist, Al, but that's what I No, I, I think you're spot on. Let's run with that just for a minute because uh, I am really uh, at this point in my life and my career where mm. I have the ability to influence at senior levels and I have taken what I have reflected on as a virtuous approach, but I would challenge myself to say it's been largely a safe approach. You know, I've, been, I've been nudging uh, people to define well-being and more about, uh, I'm sorry, engagement more about well-being and think about individual capacity and think about also what feedback means um, and defining which, that to honor the, which are all good. But at the end game, when we have businesses influencing political, not only discourse, but decision-making, yeah. yeah, you know, they are like guiding the policies in this country. I find myself needing to be more assertive. And as this has, you know, to our earlier point, this movement has given me strength to take that level of assertiveness and to a, another level. Because I think if I don't lead it, if we don't, um, people who are not black mm -hmm. don't lead the conversation, engage the conversation, uh, facilitate the discussions and help drive change yeah. together with the black community, then I don't, I don't see it happening. It can't be all yeah. on the black community, it can't be all on the non-black community. We yeah. need to get there together. So in America, I mean, uh, African Americans make thirteen like percent of the population, right? Yeah. So I right. mean, there is no way that this can change. You know, there is a concept of you know uh, tipping points, right? There's the uh, thirteen percent is not enough for a, a tipping point, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that you know um, you are absolutely right. It's 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 the it's the strength that we find in these pockets. It's the strength that we find online, right? It's the things that we see, the stories that we hear that, you know, um, enable us to take that extra step, right? For me, I'll be honest, I, I, I would not be someone who saw myself going out to protest, you know? Mm -hmm. But when I read the stories, I saw the stories, I saw the things, right? You know, we're human, right? And we, we, we know that, that this is impacting other people's livelihoods, right? And to see somebody else's life, you know, um, impacted in a way that's moving, right? And that's yeah. why, you know, I said, let's not discount like the social media because a lot of this is, 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 is made possible because people can share stories, right? Yeah. And the, the rate at which it's happened so, so quickly and so pervasively around like the world is because people can share stories. And in that story, storytelling, there is a bonding, there is a connectiveness and uh, that strength. And I think that, you know, if, if that helps people like to do more, if that helps people like to take that ex, extra step, each of those extra steps is what will make uh, like the difference in the, the road ahead. So I think, uh, I mean, that's, that's just awesome, man. That's awesome. Hey, well, we're in a good flow here. I'd just like to continue on um, for, with one more uh, question on this topic. I'm sure we'll come back to it. Um, yeah. Of course, I am just curious from your perspective, um, and we just touched on it. Mm. What is the role of business leaders to facilitate the discussions that you're talking about? Because yeah. there's kind of been, well, do you have them at school? Do you have them at home? Do you have them in the workplace? I would think all of the above, but when you talk about the workplace, they said, well, that's kind of politics, 
politics should say over there. However, as I believe we both agreed, it's not about politics, it's about not life. Not. It's about how we interact. It's about how we honor each other's humanness and create a equity where people have the ability to achieve and generate wealth in a, a broader you know, context or upward movement within a particular organization. So the pointed question again, you know, what do you believe organizations need to be doing to facilitate these discussions? Sure. So um, I'll answer a question before I answer that question. Okay. Um, it's why should organizations feel like they have to, right? Because right. as I said before, before, like they didn't have to. So why should they do it now? Yeah. Um, um, and I think what um, what jumps out at me is the, you know, there's the uh, trust barometer uh, survey that's done each and every year by Elderman, which says you know, kind of who who do people trust, right? Who are the, what are the entities that people trust? And more than their government, more than the news, more than nonprofits, the pendulum is swinging that people trust their employers. Mm. With that trust, you know, uh, to quote Sp Spider-Man, uh, uh, <laughs> Ben, right? with great power comes yeah. great responsibility, right? Absolutely. So that is the why, right? Because people are looking to their employers as a source of credibility and truth, right? So that's why. Now, what can be done about it, I, I think is, you know, like multifold. One is what I think a lot of businesses are doing now, acknowledging that this is not a fake problem, that this is um, a real thing, that there are systemic and institutional uh, barriers in our society that, you know, for a large part were created in, intentionally, but perhaps for a large part went under a discussed or, you know, for uh, various reasons, not tackled with the feverishness that it sh sh should have been, right? So acknowledgement of the problem is first. Two, I think, is to find ways to support those impacted most by the systemic challenges, right? Mm -hmm. And what that I think looks like is, you know, I know at our place we were talking about, um, you know, like we realized that, hey, there are, you know, certain, that the people in our tech industry look a certain way. Um, and the people, let's say, in our back office and support staff look a certain way, right? <laughs> so how might we find ways to give those people who may want an opportunity in career in tech find those pathways, right? There's a lot of um, uh, great, great uh, conversations and like discussions around apprenticeships now. One, because talent is hard like to find, but two, because uh, that the, the diverse group of talent is also hard like to find too, right? So what are ways that we could facilitate that? You know, I think if you're, if you're a large business like Amazon, you have a lot of influence <laughs> in uh, workforce of the country <laughs> um, than even some governments have, right? So what if Amazon said, hey, we're going to do apprenticeships specifically target at underrepresented populations in tech, right? All of a sudden, they're helping those inequities by facilitating uh, ways, pathways, you know, to uh, get there. And I think three, um, what comes to mind, and, and a lot of companies are already doing this, and I think this is probably like the first thing like that could happen, is to 
share and give accountability to your diversity statistics. And you know, a lot of companies are already doing this, but I think um, this is why it's important. You know, um, uh, when you have to report out on a number, and we all know this, <laughs> um, there is a tendency and a now kind of self accountability as a leader to make that number better, right? Right. <laughs> right? So if we're reporting constantly that, you know, and this is real, I think in the tech industry on average, there's only about 5% or less in a lot of places. 5% is like good. Um, mm -hmm. It's closer to like three, three to 2% of African-Americans who work in tech. Yeah. It doesn't look bad then during this time, right? Yeah. You, you may want to find a way to, um, to, to, to have interventions to make that number look better, right? The great thing about KPI is, is that you, you can say, we can either make that number go up or we can either make that number go down, right? So um, I, I think those are, you know, key ways. And there's, you know, um, a, a few other ways, but I think that those are easily accessible ways that, that people can be, that businesses can begin to do things. You know? Well, good, good for you. And I can't celebrate those enough. And just picking up on the last point in particular, it's like their systemic challenges, meaning it goes all the way into the pipeline, you know, deep. You know, it starts with grade school. It even starts arguably earlier than that. So how can we remedy it? And many people throw their arms up. Oh gosh, it's not my problem. Everything has to change. Yet we have to take responsibility for our element of the process, our element of the value chain, if you will. Yeah. And so, you know, it is going to take, it is a heavy lift. It is going to take uh, concerted leadership over time. Mm -hmm. I just celebrate what you just uh, uh, shared as well, is that we have to acknowledge across the board that there's a problem. Yeah. Um, I was, I learned the other day, I went to college in the or in the eighties rather. And uh, I learned, yeah, I, I'm going to misstate the statistic. I just know in order of magnitude, okay. I believe the, uh, the black, um, student population at the University of California, Berkeley was roughly 10% or something like that uh, when I went to school in the, uh, in the 80s. And it was similar, I would imagine, at UC Davis, where I went to. Definitely. And so I've learned that it's like 1% now. It's like, wow. you know, and, and it's because the programs have fallen away that allow affirmative action enabled uh, yes, students who are underrepresented to go. And I heard that and I, it was mind blowing because so much of my uh, richness in appreciate, I didn't know, to be totally honest, I didn't really know who Nelson Mandela was before I went yeah. to college. You know, so now I'm talking to black people about Nelson Mandela and apartheid and Tiananmen Square happened. You know, I'm like, wow, there's a big world out there. So that diversity empowered me in my journey. And hopefully I you know, imparted some of my perspective onto others. I'm half Mexican, but I don't show up. Mm. In that way, I show up as a, a white man. And however, I have certain experiences that, you know, both family and directly that have contributed to how I show up in, in the world. But uh, yeah, we need to have that forum. And right now, you know, employers, again, to echo what you shared, have a role to play. And now yeah. it invites the question, do they have the courage to facilitate those conversations on an ongoing basis? And, you know, is it going to, uh, again, to your point, are there going to be some accountability, um, you know, measures around that? So let, let me ask you this question since we're flowing here. Um, 
I had the great honor of collaborating with the CHRO in, in writing her letter and forming her strategy on how she was going to deal with Black Lives Matter and the challenges that it presented her organization. Yeah. And we went back and forth in a very constructive way. She's a white woman. Mm-hmm. And uh, she um, was uh, you know, thinking diversity and inclusion and diversity and inclusion and belonging. And, you know, I, and I advocated, I said, you know, I think this is really about safety. And I know you have a group around safety, but it's physical, emotional, and psychological safety. And I do not know how you frame it, you know, in terms of your communication, but I think it's pretty fundamental like that. We're not talking about a nicety here. We're talking about people being able to walk to the parking lot in a safe way, walk into a room and not feel that they're going to be judged or or ridiculed because of the color of their skin. So I'm not asking you to, um, you know, agree or or, or disagree. I'm just, how do you feel about that notion? And if you have another idea on how it can and should be positioned within organizations to achieve a beneficial outcome, very interesting. Yeah, so I mean, I think it's not even like a matter of like, agree or disagree, it's a, a, a different lens. And when I think of obviously, you know, Maslow's order of needs, safety, yeah. it's right, right there. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I actually welcome that because it stops being, as, we, as it's being portrayed in some places, a political issue or a black issue. This is a human issue that gets down to the core of, am I okay? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Like, am I okay if? Am I okay when? Am I okay? You know, in in this you know specific situation. So I think when you put it that way, it gives people a different lens to think. Okay. You know, I've been here because you hear about it in the political like arena. You hear about it in you know like the Black Lives Like Matter movement but you really need something to help people relate it back to themselves, right? And I, I, I think that's what that may help do, but I'm, I'm curious to know what the uh, like reception was either from her or if you heard back from her folks. It, it, it's been positive. I, I, before I you know, comment on that, um, I, I got a chill when you were responding because I realized in the questions that you posed rhetorically, they're the exact same questions we asked in response to COVID-19. You know, are, are, are you okay? How are you? How can I help? Those are the exact same questions, correct me if I'm wrong, we argue we should be asking, you know, not only black people, but those who, who have maybe unconsciously been perpetuating it and having the openness to learn and okay, hey, yeah, you're right. This isn't good. How can we, you know, help? You know, I, I believe that's a more inviting way to the conversation than, oh damn, there's this Black Lives Matter thing. I gotta deal with this now and I, you know, and grumbling about it. And while I don't know anybody personally who's doing that, I imagine there's a lot of people who yes. are like struggling. I mean, it feels like a problem that they, you know, I, I, you know, for an executive that, you know, everything was going well, and then all of a sudden, a problem came into their lap that they were never expecting, and now they have to address, and they just don't know how, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there is, okay, I, I do understand, but that's why I think 
discussions like this are important because I don't think the expectation is that, you know, um, black people expect people to just know what to do. I think the, um, the expectation is you are open to listening to what may help, right? And um, I think that, uh, that approach there of being opening, being open to listen, being open to understand, being open to just sit there and not say anything because you don't understand, right? <laughs> right? So, um, and just, just, and, you know, understanding that I think that, in, I think this is one area that at times folks, either they, they don't like get it, or as soon as like they get it, they're like, oh my God, right? The, the, um, the concept of um, innate privilege or, uh, you know, on the opposite end, uh, almost the robbery of a normalcy, right? Where um, a lot of times I come into the room and I have to be conscious of my blackness. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, because right. I'm either, you know, um, the oldest per I'm sorry, like the only black person in, uh, in, in like the room. And, you know, I, I have been very fortunate to grow up in Washington, D.C., where there's a lot of uh, like diversity. Um, I, I also have a very r rosy outlook in the world. So there, there probably have been times when I've been discriminated against and I, I just said, oh, it's kind of weird. Mm -hmm. oh. Hope, hope he had a, you know, he just probably had an off day, right? So, but, um, so I, I know there's some fortune in, in that, but I think, you know, again, taking it back to the safety, taking it back to the humanity that like, of nothing of your own, you now have to be extra conscious and aware of something you had no choice over mm. all the time, unless you're with people who look like you that's exhausting. <laughs> yeah. you know, it's exhausting. So um, I, I actually think that uh, that's a very, um, a, a cool way to convey um, the humanity of like the situation because it gets at that basal, you know, like need that we all have to feel safe in mm -hmm. the environment that we are, right? So um, yeah. Can, can I just fast forward? Because I am personally... Uh, struggle's not the right word because I can see it in my own life. Um, however, when I think about societally and organizationally, what does great look like? You know, what does like, hey, we're doing well here look like? Um, you know, is it that we've hired more black people or more, you know, elevated more um, women into leadership roles? Uh, you know, I like and appreciate the um, point you put forth around KPIs, you know, if they're published out there, you know, there's a level of accountability both internally and, and, and publicly if, if that is the case with a particular metric. So my, my point of question is, you know, many, well, just to focus on organizations for a second, or where they are. And I don't believe in the leaders that I've spoken with, they really have a clear idea of what success or what getting better looks like. Mm 
yeah. uh, because they think it's just so insurmountable. It's, and like we talked about earlier, it's like, there's so much, therefore I'm just going to wash my hands of it and I'm going to blame it unconsciously or consciously on something else. Right, right. So, so the pointed question to you, I mean, what, because if we have an idea of what like positive movement looks like, I think the, roadmap to get there will become clearer. I see many putting together roadmaps with not really understanding where they're going. So, you know, any ideas, thoughts there? Yes. Um, And you said a term and you used it for something else, but but I'm going to borrow that term and use it here. Positive movement, right? Um, You know, in the Western society, there is a dream. In America, it's called the American dream right? That you work hard and you advance and you grow, mm-hmm. right? And I think, and, and I believe actually, not I think, I believe that is what the goal should be. How many people of underrepresented populations or minority are seeing growth in the various assets within our company? And you, you mentioned a few, right? Obviously the people that we hire, right? What does our leadership team look like? However, I would venture that there's one that probably tells a greater story than hiring like a bunch of like minorities and putting someone in a leadership role um, because like you feel like now like you have to have this, right? Mm -hmm. How many minorities are advancing or being promoted? That's movement. That's positive movement. Right. right? When you when you look at that, you know, because what tends to happen is this, and I wrote a blog about this, right? Uh, you know, there's a um, uh, there's kind of an old boys club, right? At times, there's uh, there's a certain portion of career advancement that's network and uh, relationships, and a lot of times, um, to me, that's kind of like the crust of inclusion that you know, minorities may not make those relationships because they don't see somebody like themselves there, right? So um, who, who tends to naturally rise up to uh, like the top are the same people who are there right now. Mm-hmm. So I think the best way to measure, um, are we making progress for growth for underrepresented populations is our underrepresented populations in our company growing? Are they advancing? Um, and I think that is another metric that may not be as closely measured. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I think that is change, right? When you move from one space to like another space, that is actual change and that's actual growth. And I think when you compare that growth, to uh, let's call it like the default uh, population or even the overall organs, uh, org uh, population, right? What you wanna see is at least, hey, these people are either growing at the same rate or because you know there is inherent systematic issues, right? They're growing at a faster rate to get you to that point where there is um, you know, like representation. In leadership, you know. So what, what I'm hearing is 
and I celebrate it, but I know there's going to be pushback societally and from organizational leaders just saying, okay, if I'm hearing it correctly, you know, there's going to be a fixed number of spots. Um, the people who are most qualified to fill those spots based on a skill-based educational level are going to be non-Black, just by sheer numbers going back into the pipeline that we've talked about before. So if we're going to elevate those numbers all the time, we as an organization need to disrupt the norm, and we have to consciously elevate Black people and arguably um, women and potentially Latino uh, Americans as well, and to have to build a more equitable representation among leadership roles over time. Now, I imagine white people or people who you know, are part of the, the establishment who you know, have benefited from this uh, perpetuation of uh, exclusion um, will raise their arms up and say, wait a minute, you know, I, I went to school, I, I did that, I did, I pressed all the should buttons. And, you know, obviously, they've had this, uh, this privilege. And so they're going to have to get on board with making room, making these pathways available to others. And that is not going to be sold unless leaders form a confidence-inspiring, inclusive narrative to say that it's an and, not an or. That, you know, but it's going to be disproportionate over time, like it's been disproportionate for the past hundreds of years. So would you agree with that? Is there any nuances that you would like to pick up on and uh, elaborate on? There is a nuance. Um, and the nuance is um, not to assume that this isn't a data-driven decision right? That mm -hmm. it's a decision that's just, we're doing this because we need more black people like in, in higher roles. Mm -hmm. As I said, the first thing that you have to do is really compare and see, is there a problem, right? You know, because, but my assumption is that a lot of places, especially like the larger companies, like the tech companies, like the bio uh, pharma companies, will clearly see that, you know, um, Comparative to the talent that, let's say, graduates from higher education, let's say if there's, you know, 20% or let's say 15%, 10% of um, people who graduate, you know, in higher ed who are African Americans are, you know, Black or Latino. Oh, well, we only have at our tech company, 4% of our engineers are that. Hmm, okay, so now you may want to look at, you know, why, right? So it's not, is this intentional? It's like, okay, well, why is that, right? So I, I think asking like the questions of why is it that this is an output, but this is what happens, occurs. Perhaps mm -hmm. it, it, it could be in, you know, unconscious bias of like, this is what I see as a software-like developer or, or as a program-like manager because all the other folks look like this. So as a recruiter, unconsciously, I don't know, I'm, I may be trying to hire for cultural fit, mm -hmm. right? And that's what happens sometimes. That, that, that could be it, right? Who knows, right? Um, when we look internally, we see, okay, maybe it's not a hiring problem. You, you all hire probably the, you know, like the right amount or, you know, like whatever like the amount is but you don't see that level in the leadership. Why is that, right? Mm -hmm. are, are, you know, what, what, what are the components that drive promotions at your company? Mm -hmm. right? Compare that with 
minorities, compare that with, you know, non-Black minorities and see what are the disparities. And then that's when you start to realize, you know, like, for example, as I said, one part is that there are, there's a part of job growth that is a network base. It's who you know, like you get that face sound like the leadership. Yep. Are African-Americans, are like minorities, are they making those same kind of connections with certain kinds of people? You know, doing network like analysis, like to see, you know, who are those people that talk, who, who are people that people who promote it talk to most? And are our uh, minorities getting exposure to, to those people, right? So it, it doesn't have to be so um, subjective. There is a data-driven approach to this if we ask ourselves why and we allow the same people, analytics, the same you know, data-driven mindset to help us answer these questions. So that, that's, that's like the nuance uh, there, but at the big picture, we, we are trying to discover where the inequities lie. Well, you, you know your audience. You're just trying to make me feel good now. <laughs> <laughs> there's, 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 there's no other way. Like, no, I, I 100% agree. Exactly. I mean, if, if just, just like, you know, and, you know, like we can try like the discount, of, but it's still how people feel. Just like there is privilege, you know, for, you know, or white privilege where, you know, things may happen as easily. You know, there are people, you know, like I've, you know, obviously like a lot of white friends who feel like, well, it's, it's not fair. I didn't do those things that, you know, systematically impacted, you know, African-Americans yet I'm suffering for it. Right. right? Or I, I have to bear that brunt. Um, that's a hard pill to swallow for anybody. Right. So that's why I think like the data driven approach to show people, this is what the labor market looks like. This is what ends up with us. This are people who get promoted. These are people in leadership. And then invite people to say, tell me what's wrong with this picture. <laughs> right? right. And tell me what's wrong and how do we then fix it? And it's going to be fixed not in one fell swoop by one program in one quarter. It's going right. to be a lift over time. And I never really liked that term, heavy lift. But I, for some reason in this context that's really been top of mind for me it seems very appropriate because it's not going to be easy and it's going to take time and so again my pointed question to you and this might be through your own experience or your ideas that you'd like to see take shape is this uh process that we're talking about looking at the data um assessing the problem identifying a future state creating a roadmap to get from here to there that's going to require a few things. Number one, of course, it's going to require the data and someone to actually do the analysis and bring it to the floor, but it's going to require the space and time to actually consider it. Yeah, it's not, I see so many people, and I know the pandemic is throwing a, a, you know, another challenge in the whole thing, but I see so few creating the space, you know, whether it be an offsite, you know, because that's what comes to mind when you talk about create the space, but really a recurring uh, offsite, recurring meeting, you know, say, okay, this is our focus of this discussion. We have a problem. What's our solve for that? How are we going to track progress over time? How are we going to hold each other accountable? Uh, you know, that I don't see happening. And ultimately, and this is the last point, it's going to take a leader 
or group of leaders, but ultimately a leader to say, this is a non-negotiable. This is what we're going to do. And while there's been a lot of nice talk from business leaders, and I know PR firms and communications groups have got their fingerprints on it because they have nice backgrounds and they have, you know, they're all meme ready, right? Mm-hmm. It's like there needs to be that ongoing conviction from leaders. So that's my point of view. I don't see it to the level I, that I, I would like personally, because uh, I just see kind of it being handed off to like, again, the PR folks. But what's your hope? I mean, what do you, what, what would you like to see happen? Because you said you were hopeful uh, before. You believe this is a, you know, a true shift getting over the top. Um, what else, you know, am I missing for that to actually hold true yeah so i think right now what we're seeing is that there is a flashlight a spotlight on diversity within your organization Mm -hmm. where it's now something that's being reported on on um stock holders or shareholder reports right there's a lot of research and a lot of information that shares around the correlation between diversity and organizational performance. Mm-hmm. A lot of, you know, um, with the new wave of, let's call them, you know, investors now, um, even the, um, uh, a lot of them, they look at your corporate social responsibility. People want to invest in companies that are doing, not just making profit but are doing good things right and that's why i think the exposure of the kpis and the accountability there um is is one part of what makes this piece um piece work right because there is a selfishly there is a personal image you as a leader want to be able to say that you are doing. So again, having a KPI that's very public, that's um, very much so in the, you know, like the news and like the airways, you know, um, there is a accountability to that metric that you want that number to swing a a positive way, positive movement, you know, like like the term like before. So that's one component like that makes me um, hopeful. You, you talked about, you know, uh, something here around, you know, um, creating space, you know, and what do, you know, like leaders do and, you know, kind of, um, you know, thoughts like around that. I definitely think that, you know, um, this has to start from the top. It, it has to be something that um, the senior leadership champions. And I think, as I said now, there is more pressure for businesses to say something, to not say silent. So you, you, you can say the market has influenced a lot of businesses to now take this issue as this is an important issue. What are we doing about it? Yep. Now from the top, it's now an issue, right? <laughs> so that, that we have to shine some light on um, a lot of, organizations if they have like the resources to or make uh, like the resources to put you know obviously a diversity and inclusion you know a senior leader inside of their executive leadership right 
However, and, you know, bringing it back home to, you know, like the work that we all do, right? There is a, there is a ambiguous, there is a ambiguousness, sorry, the word ambiguousness. I'm with you. <laughs> of what to do. And the context of that is very specific to each organization. But to figure out what to do, a lot of times you have to figure out why are things happening the way they are now. Mm. That is where I think, you know, like the data uh, driven approach and the analytics mindset can truly add value to this question that no one knows what to do about, Al. <laughs> you yeah. know, the question that people are like, what do we do? I don't know. Is this possible? Is this right? Is it a HIPAA violation? Is it, like, it, HR is smack dab in the, the middle of answering one of the most prolific questions that have faced our modern life society within the workplace, right? So um, exploring the why of, of how, you know, things happen from hiring to, you know, performance to promotion to leadership, exploring kind of, you know, they, you know, like they call it survival like analysis. If you have, yeah. this is like the talent pool, this is what flows through. These are all, you know, maybe there's none at the top. Yep. You know, um, why does that happen? And then in the answering of the why is where you figure out the what. Right. Know? Now we can try to take out bottlenecks and things like that. So that's why I'm hopeful because there's a lot of things coming together to culminate, you know, like to go back to an early analogy, uh, this big turning point, uh, a battle within this entire war of, you know, um, uh, equality. So, so let, let's um, take that because I 100% agree across the board. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about who can uh, or should be in the room. And when I say should, I, I don't like that word, <laughs> um, but it, what, who would you recommend be in the room? And let me put it this way, is in the midst of the pandemic, certainly in as it first started, all these uh, tiger teams or task forces got created yes. yeah you know to 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 deal with remote work to you know to deal with you know just you know, in some cases right sizing the workforce in some cases you know dealing with um you know those who would still come into work or whatever you know a range of issues and these uh groups have been very diverse in representation from different functions you know facilities hr legal operations finance you know on down the line and as i see them evolve many uh organizations are thinking about keeping these intact yeah. and as well and i have long advocated for something like that and but HR ultimately, given the data that they have access to, in my view, are uniquely qualified to facilitate those discussions uh, because they have the people-related data and some of which you know, needs to be secured. So my pointed question to you, let's say those types of task forces uh, you know, e exist. Would you see those playing a role in this, or would this be, you know, another HR leadership team agenda item that would be outside the broader sphere? I mean, what would be your ideal um, approach that you would like to see in organizations? Sure. So, um, when I think about that question, I think about what's already being done, 
now? And is that working? Hmm. So what's being done now, what's being done now is it is within HR. It is, you know, um, something that HR tends to lead. And a lot of times it does not get beyond the point of reporting what has happened. Yeah. You know, that's not working. <laughs> so, <laughs> so on the flip side, if we see this as a crisis, what, what, what did we do in crisis kinds of situation? We formed teams, not just any teams, teams that could influence and make decisions about certain things within the workforce, right? Mm -hmm. Teams that the relevant people who, who, you know, the crisis was impacting were on those tiger teams, those crisis teams, right? So in my mind, if organizations see this as a crisis in the opportunity to come out of this crisis, you know, um, better, stronger, wholer, right? You will put uh, uh, together those crisis teams. And obviously HR is in the room, right? Um, but also senior executive to, to make the choice to say, you, you have my authority, you have my, you know, gavel, make this happen and this mm -hmm. is what i want to, to see that should be in the, the room too but i i caution it um i i caution senior like executives to hold their tongue <laughs> in that room because obviously their influence has a lot of weight and do a lot of listening and mm -hmm. a lot of empowering at the end right yeah. you know because you know the answers aren't always going to come from you but the empowerment to take action on the answers will come from you. Right? That's priceless advice. Yeah. And particularly, most leaders are not black. Yeah. Know? So, That's yeah, and nor are they epidemiologists and you know, you know, statisticians who can you know, read data and predict you know, how it's going to spread. So I, I think you're absolutely right. They, they have uh, an increasingly responsive, um, elevated responsibility to listen, learn, you know, adopt that growth mindset that Carol Dweck talks uh, about um, so eloquently. So, you know, I, you know, Vic, I could talk to you for the rest of the day and uh, I'm sure we'd solve at least one problem in the world. <laughs> but, I mean, <laughs> Maybe not this one, but uh, you know, Vic. Any uh, closing comments before we sign off here? Uh, you know, I think that again, I'm I'm very hopeful for the energy that's been galvanized around this issue. Um, and you know, my mom, uh, you know, has has the saying: things don't change unless things start changing. And I think what we're seeing now is things are changing, and then there's a reaction uh, to that. And, you know, and again, I think the key difference here is that businesses can no longer sit on the sidelines because people are very attuned and adept to their silence. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If, there, if, if there hasn't been a business that's put out a statement or something to say something to acknowledge what's happening, um, their employees are going to start to look at them like, what does this mean that you didn't say anything? Right. So, you know, I think there's a lot of awareness because people are, are, are looking to like their businesses or to their employers 
as that space of trust. Yeah. So um, with, with, with great trust, with great power comes responsibility. And, you know, our organizations, you know, like for better or like for worse, you know, um, are, are the movers and shakers in our economy and in our society. So um, I think that is the key a differentiator here. And I think that, you know, um, for those places that are looking to figure out what can I do, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a systemic problem. It's a systemic challenge. It's very um, akin to an organizational challenge with inside of your own business. How would you approach that? You start to observe, you start to look at data, and you start to do a lot of listening. And I think that's, <laughs> yeah. I think that's uh, um, you know, what I would charge people with, you know, here today. And I think um, progress can be and will be made on this out. Well, Vic, you know, I love your mom's quote. Uh, she obviously is an awesome person for bringing such an awesome person in the world. So, hey, man, thank you really for, for sharing your insights, ideas, and being who you are. And thanks uh, for sharing with me and our listeners today. So, hope to see you uh, in person before too long there in D.C., huh? Yes, yes, Al. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> All right, you be well. I'll talk to you. Mm-hmm. All right, sure. Bye. Yeah. Thanks for joining the People Analytics and Future of Work podcast with Al Adamson. To find other podcasts, videos, upcoming events, and to join the Global People Analytics Network, please visit us at globalpeopleanalytics.net.